Hope you all are doing well. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We won't be in this text very long, uh, but we will spend about 10 or 15 minutes in it. Kids, uh, right now is the time to go ahead and pull out your, comp- your coloring books and just do every single puzzle and color every single thing you can in there while I talk to everybody. And you're absolutely free to listen. And if you follow along, mommy and daddy are going to get you a rocket ship for Christmas. <laughs> I don't know if y'all can smell it, but it smells really good up here. All of these candles are like cherry. I'm ready to eat. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we will, we will jump in. We're going to be at Matthew 1, starting at verse 18. Starting at verse 18. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that we have together to celebrate the coming of your Son, the incarnation of Jesus, the birth of the Savior, the Messiah. I pray that you would be with us now in this small time that we have to look into your word and, and just um, in the middle of all the busy time of Christmas season that you would uh, reveal to us again and afresh and anew and maybe for the first time for those here uh, what we're celebrating and why we're here. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at verse 18 through 25 in Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When when his mother Mary had been betrothed, engaged, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You had to divorce even if you were engaged back then. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, this is what the prophet said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I once had a neighbor that was not a Christian. He was a Sikh. Um, He was from India. And this religion began in around the 1500s. Um, And basically, their concept of God... Uh, is, is somewhat, it's kind of a halfway concept of God that we have. Their concept of God is that he is so far beyond us, so, so far and, and infinite and, and so big that uh, it's barely possible for us to know anything about him. We can just know a little. Now, we as Christians believe that, but we also have this kind of um, paradox that we hold that he's also intimate and involved in our lives and deeply a part of our lives. So much so, if you're a believer, you believe he lives in you. But I'm having this gospel conversation with him. I'm wanting to tell him about Jesus. Um, He came from this different kind of mindset as a Sikh, where the only concept they ever had of God is that he's distant and far and so much beyond us. And so I'm talking about Jesus. And then I'm getting to Jesus becoming God. And literally, when I got to the point about Jesus being God and God entering into human history as a human that's where he was just like, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. That's, he wasn't being belligerent. We were really good friends, but he's saying, that's ridiculous. He had such an enormous view of God. The idea that God would actually become man to him was an absolute ridiculous notion. Um, however, the entire meaning of Christmas centers around this very concept, that God became man. 
Very simply tonight, what I want you to know is how unbelievably important the name Emmanuel is. The, the sermon series we've been doing for four weeks now, four sermons, is called God With Us. That's what the name Emmanuel means. And so very simply tonight, I want you to know how important, how unbelievably important this name Emmanuel is. The, word, the name Emmanuel is only in the Bible three times. Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 8, 8, and Matthew 1, 23. Matthew 1, 23 is just quoting Isaiah 7, 14. And it's just kind of offhandedly used in Isaiah 8, 8. So it's really, really just once. Isaiah 7, 14, because Matthew quotes it. It's not, it's really, well, it's twice. But um, it's not a, a huge idea. However, we've, there's, a, there's a big doctrine that's been built out of it, which Rightly so, because Matthew seven fourteen is a key to Isaiah seven fourteen, and it, uh, brought forward in Matthew one twenty three is a huge, huge concept of understanding the incarnation or God becoming flesh. So today, what I want you to do, as we read the entire story, we're going to center in on two little verses, and the two verses are twenty one and twenty three, where the people are told to call this baby two things. You'll see it in verse twenty one. You shall call his name Jesus, and then it says it again. And verse 23, towards the end, they shall call his name Emmanuel. So the first one that I want to look at, you shall call this name, you shall call this child two names. You shall call this child two names. And I want to unpack each one of those names in, in, in a rather quick manner for you. So the first one, you shall call his name Jesus. You shall call this child two names. The first one is call him Jesus. Jesus in the Hebrew is Joshua, literally means Yahweh saves or God saves. So when we say Jesus saves, when we're told him to call him Jesus, this means that we are saved. And we're told, it's told why we call him Jesus. For it says, you will call his name Jesus for, this is making an argument, creating an idea. The reason why you call him Jesus, Jesus is because, here it is, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God saves. And so since Jesus means God saves, the reason why you're going to call him God God saves is because he's going to save his people from their sins. So what do we mean when we say, call him Jesus, literally, he will save his people from his sins? This is what we mean. He, he meaning God, Jesus, the only one that can save us. We know this in John 14, 6, uh, Acts 4, 12. There's no salvation under any other name except for Christ and Christ alone. So when we say he, we're talking about God, will save will save. If you're not a believer, you might not know this, but you need to be saved. It doesn't mean that you need to be saved like you're drowning in water. It doesn't need to be saved like you're walking out in the street and someone needs to push you out of the way. Um, Instead, it means that you have something much, much greater happening in your life if you don't know Christ. Or if you do, you understand it's something much greater than losing your physical life. It's dying spiritually. And so when we say we'll save, we mean that Christ is offering salvation. God himself is offering salvation to you right now. Saved literally kind of means, um, in, in the New Testament concept, to be emancipated or let go of the greatest evil or the guilt or the pollution of sin and the power of sin and the punishment of sin that's placed on us and then instead to be placed in the possession of God himself. That's what we mean by saved, that you are completely declared innocent and righteous. You are saved from that and then placed in the caring hands of God. So it says, he will save his people. His people means that Christ died for his children and that he loves them and that you can be one of them tonight if you trust in him this evening. If you put your faith in him and believe that Christ died on the cross for you. And then it says, their sins, their sins. And this is the biggest reason why it's important. Um, I've got several children 
none of which know how to get ice out of a refrigerator. So they walk up to the fridge with the cup, and as soon as they hit it, ice just goes everywhere. It's like they're trying to shoot ice long distance into the cup. I don't know what happens, but I am always the, the beneficiary this is the wrong word to use, of this phenomenon about an hour later when I walk into the kitchen and I I wear socks, I walk into the kitchen and all of a sudden step in a puddle and sock feet. Now, I don't know about you, but nothing is worse in my life than having wet sock feet. I mean, as soon as it happens, it's like, wet sock feet, oh, why is there ice and water all over? And so immediately, like my first impulse is, is immediately, I have to take this off. I got to get it off. I can't stand wet sock feet. Anybody with me? Is it just me? Thank you. Wet sock feet is the worst ever, right? So you're like, wet sock feet, get it off. And kids, why do I have wet sock feet again? Why is it that we can't get ice into, or if it falls, you see it, and then you pick it up and, you know, put it in the plant or put it in the sink or something. But why is it that I always get wet sock feet? And my first impulse, I think rightly, is get it off. Get it off. I want it off. Now, here's here's the idea. This same first impulse that I kind of, maybe in an OCD fashion, have about wet sock feet um, is the, the impulse we all should have as soon as we're aware that we're sinners. As soon as we're aware that we're, as soon as we understand who we are as sinners in the, in the image of or in front of a holy God, when we think about our sin, we want off. I want it off. I can't bear this sin in front of you. This is when Isaiah was in front of God and he, he says, oh, woe is me, I'm a sinner in front. So we all know it's just intuitively in us. As soon as we are exposed about our sin in the front of a holy God, as bad as we want it, we want it off. Get it off. And this is exactly what Christ has come to do. To relieve that, that impulse within us that is dying to have the sin removed from us. He came, and because he went on the cross, all of the sin that's on us is washed clean, and all of it is then put on him. So we call him Jesus because of this deep desire to want it to be gone, to want it to be washed away, to want it to be cleansed. And then we have been, in so many different terms, um, atoned for, or redeemed, or rescued, or delivered, or liberated, or saved, or recovered, or brought back from the dead. All these, all these different words that the Bible uses. These are all just synonyms, if you will, to drive down or drive in that deep concept of us that says, I have to have this sin off of me. I want it gone. And that's what Christ came to do, is to relieve that first impulse of the gnawing in your stomach of sin that you have, wanting it gone. So the first thing that we call him is Jesus. Now, if you can keep looking at 22, said all of these things took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then we go to Isaiah, or then we go to verse 23. Now, a long time ago, we went through the book of uh, Isaiah. I'm sorry, we went through the book of Matthew. And we know that Matthew is writing to people who are Jewish. And repeatedly through this entire book, because he's writing to people who are Jewish, who are well acquainted with the Old Testament, he quotes the Old Testament like crazy in this particular book because they're very much acquainted with it. And so here, he does the same thing. He, he quotes by the prophet Isaiah is the first prophet in the prophets, and so they would just normally call him the prophet. And it says, behold, and so he quotes Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin, this is referring to Mary, shall conceive and bear a son. And then he tells us to call him something else. Now, the first one, Jesus, is his name. This second one, Emmanuel, is his title. So he tells us to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So a few notes I want to point out about this, this 
quoting of the prophet, and then we'll look at this second point. When we look at the idea of calling him, verse 23, Emmanuel, and it says, the virgin shall conceive. Um, the virgin birth of Mary, the virgin birth of Mary makes it possible for God to be, really be with us. God could not be with us if it was not for the virgin birth. We saw over here where it says in verse 18, that she is to be found with child from the Holy Spirit. This means that um, man did not impregnate Mary. Instead, God did. And since God impregnated her, the line of Adam was not passed down into Mary. And so this, this baby that was coming did not have the corrupt human line or human corruption in it. Therefore, when this baby came, it was not born into sin. It was not born with human corruption. Therefore, the virgin birth is the only way that we could have literally God with us because he, he could not be born in the line of Adam. He had to be born directly in the line of God. The next thing is, since that's the case, Jesus is the only person ever that can fulfill this prophecy in Isaiah seven fourteen, and I would go so boldly as to say the rest of Matthew, but I don't have time for that tonight. So Jesus is the only possible one that can fulfill Matthew, or Isaiah seven fourteen because he is the, the Messiah, Another thing about Jesus being born as Emmanuel, it means that in John 1.14, in John's gospel, kind of in the, in the beginning, he says it this way about God being with us. He says in 1.14, the word, talking about Jesus, became flesh, that's God with us now, and dwelt among us. And there's an implication of having Jesus in front of us, and it's this. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth, which means the most tangible way to physically see the glory of God was in the personal, physical face of Jesus at that particular time. So another implication is that God with us means we have the ability now to literally, physically see the glory of God. The next one is this. This comes from Calvin. It says that in Christ, the actual presence of God is with his people. Meaning, over the last three, three sermons, we've talked about the presence of God and the cloud of pillar, or the pillar of cloud, pillar by fire. We talked about the presence of God in some kind of way in the ark, the presence of God in the fourth man in the fiery furnace. But here, um, Calvin says, the actual, in Christ, the actual presence of God is now with his people. Not before where it was a shadowy presence that had been existed like we've studied over the last three weeks. Now, literally, it's not a pillar, it's not an ark, it's not a fourth man in a, in a furnace. Instead, it's God with us, but a baby. That's, that's not the way that we would have thought to do it, right? A baby. This is not at all how I thought it would happen. So here we are. Here comes the child. So here's the question. As this child comes forth, is he merely the one that is bringing us salvation? Like the UPS man? So he's literally just, hey, there's something good and I'm bringing it to you. And there it is. And I'm going to go get back in my brown truck and you have it. Is, is Jesus merely the UPS man, the delivery man, the carrier? Is he bringing us God's salvation? Or is he the actual God who is salvation? It's both, right? He is the actual God. So he is the only one who brings salvation and is literally is the salvation. So the second thing is, the first thing is we call him Jesus. The second thing you call this child is Emmanuel. Literally, God with us. This means that Jesus doesn't just bring salvation. Instead, he literally is salvation. Think of it this way. When we think about this phrase, God with us, 
God with us. The width is the bridge. What I mean is this. You've got God. Let's say you've got God over here, man over here, and there's this big separation. You have God. Here's God. Huge, powerful, sinless, perfect, holy, far off from man before we were sinners because God is perfect. Man doesn't come to him. Over on this side, we have man. Man's far off from God. He's a sinner. He's contaminated. He's polluted. And he literally, because he's a sinner, has no access to God because of his willful, because of our willful sin. So you've got them separated. And so you've got two options for this to happen. How are we going to get to God? Are we going to go to him or is he going to come to us? Those are our two options. We can try to go over there but that's impossible because we're never going to be good enough. We're never going to work hard enough. We've seen the Tower of Babel and how that went in Genesis 11 or people trying to build their way to God. It doesn't happen. So the only other option between these two separation of God and us is that God comes to us. God with us. And so the with is literally the bridge of God coming to us. This is what Christmas is all about. God with us. Calvin and a much more profound, kind of deeper, intellectual, academic way, says, says it this way. He doesn't call him the bridge. He calls him the mediator or the priest. He says, he is called Emmanuel when he is clothed with flesh and he appears in public as the priest or the mediator between God and man. And he does this to atone for the sins of men by the sacrifice of his body to reconcile man to the Father by the price of his blood and fulfill every single part of the salvation of man, to fulfill every single part of the salvation of man. And then after this, he says, so because of this, we are to yield to him the reverence that is due only to him, to the eternal God. We're to yield to him this reverence because Jesus came down here, God now with us. The only way for us to be united to God is through Christ. And so Today, the plea is for you if you don't know him, trust him today. The bridge is now supplied and it's literally Christ. He doesn't just come to bring you salvation, he is. And so the only access you'll ever have back to your creator is through God the Father. Trust in him, believe in him. Spurgeon says, God is with us, our Savior. He is with us as purpose, and the purpose is to save us. The incarnation of Jesus is our literal salvation. Have you ever had this happen to you? It always happens to me. I am the absolute, absolute worst. You go to Walmart, and right when you walk in, now, I've been trained to not just grab a shopping cart, but instead, I've been trained to get, um, you know, all all the little cleaning hand wipes, and everybody gets one, and then we attack the cart. We're literally the, the cleaning service of this particular cart for Walmart, and we, we wipe it all down. But I'm always in a predicament, because when I come up, I always think, is this going to be the good one? Because I always get the wrong one. And so you, you go there, and, you go, and you're, just, you're kind of in this conundrum. All the wheels look good. Is it going to be fine? I, I come in deep wonder as I make this, this decision. Am I going to get the right one? I'm praying it is. We get it all wiped, which takes a good 10 minutes it seems like. So once I've invested in the cleansing of this cart, I want it to be the right one. And so we get it. And so they trick you. They trick you at Walmart. I don't know if you ever noticed, but right when you get the cart, the first 20 yards or so, the, the floor is 
really bumpy. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's not until after that that it gets real smooth, and that's when you know. So you get it out, and you're going, and you're like, I guess, I don't know. I'm on the test walk, if you will, and I'm bumping it up, and I'm bumping it up, and finally, I get to the smooth part, and I'm like, okay, moment of truth. Are you going to be good? I just invested all the cleansing. I did the test walk. I mean, there's a lot went into this. There's kids running everywhere. If I turn around, I might as well just go home, you know? So I finally get there, and here comes the test walk. You get there, and all of a sudden, you're wondering, is this going to be it? Is this going to be the right one? Did I make the right choice? You start going, and all of a sudden, every light rotation, boom, boom, and everybody stares at you like, ha, ha, you got the wrong one, sucker, and you're like, ah. So here's the thing. Um, I think that perhaps, uh, especially in the religious church-going South, especially in this environment, well, everybody's a Christian because I grew up that way. I think that Jesus has been offered as a test walk. And if it doesn't work for you, you can just go get another one. You can just go get another one that works for you, whatever that religion might be. And that's not what we're talking about when we talk about Christmas. He's not hope you pick the right one, take the test walk and see if it works. Oh, it's smooth sailing with Jesus, that's good. Oh, it's not, that's not gonna work. Let me go get another one that fits my life and the way I want things and see if this is gonna work. That is not how Jesus works for us. Instead, this is what D.A. Carson says about the people that know to call him Jesus because he has saved me. Call him Emmanuel because literally God is with me. He says, those people whose sins Jesus forgives, who are satisfied beyond all measure with the cleansing that they've gotten, those are the ones that will gladly call him God with us. There's no, oh, I hope this is gonna work out because you cannot get over the fact that he saved you and you will gladly return to him. It means God is with us and God is for us because of Jesus. I want you to notice something. I didn't highlight it when we went through But in verse 21 and verse 23, did you notice the pronoun change? When they're talking uh, in verse 21, it says, you shall call his name Jesus. And then in verse 23, it says, they shall call his name Emmanuel. This isn't saying that Mary's the only one that's allowed to call him Jesus, but the rest of us have to call him Emmanuel. Instead, it's saying this. It means that all Christians, no matter where they are in their faith, now have an equal right and an equal privilege to make this confession that God is with us. Christ has now come 2,000 years ago as a baby, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, was resurrected, went back to the right hand of the Father, and now I have been saved by trusting in him, and I have the privilege, I have the equal right with everyone else because I have been joined with him, I have the privilege to call him my Savior, that God has literally given himself to us that we can enjoy Jesus Christ because he is For us, Jesus, our Savior, and Emmanuel, God with us. Are you confident? Are you overjoyed with the fact that you get to call him that this evening? This is what the Christmas message is all about. Nothing else. All the hustle and bustle of getting presents and candy canes and snowmen and all those things are fun. Christmas lights. But Jesus is the one that brings us salvation Jesus is the one that saves us from our sins. Everything was put on him for us. And now we get the privilege to call him Jesus, our Savior. And we get the privilege of knowing him as Emmanuel, God with us. 
If you don't know Christ, I want to invite you to put your faith in him tonight. You can find me anytime after the sermon and uh, the service, and I'd love to have a conversation with you about how to come to know Christ. We're going to show a video here um, about uh, a 1918, I'm sorry, 50 sermon that Charles Spurgeon, who will put it far more eloquently than I did, in three minutes about the beauty of God with us, and then we'll sing a couple more songs that after the video we'll take up our offering. So let me pray, and then we will um, watch this video and, and sing together. God, thank you so much for your love and mercy that you've given to us in Christ. Thank you for this great message that Jesus is our Savior and that God is with us and we can know him and be with him forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.